0: You're listening to audio from the Village Church, a community that's formed by the gospel and sent on God's mission, gathering weekly in the heart of downtown Hamilton, Ohio. For more information about the village or to connect with us, you can find us online at myvillagechurch.com. The focal passage is found today in Revelations. It's Revelations 1, verse 8. So I'll give you just a second if you're looking in a Bible that you're holding. It'll also be on the screens. This is God's word, and it says this Revelation 1 8, I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who is, and who was, and who is to come, the Almighty. You guys can be seated. If you need anything for children, it's over there, and Michael will come at this time. Good morning. My name is Michael. Uh, it's super glad to have you with us. Thanks so much for hanging out with us today. Um, let me pray, and then we'll, then we'll get going. Father, thanks for the gift of this family that we, get to, that we get to do what we do when we gather as your church, that we get to sing of you, and we get to be encouraged by one another, and we get to be built up, and we get to sit under your word, and we get to be shaped and transformed by the Spirit at work in our lives to remind us of the truth of who you are and who we are in light of what you've done for us. Today, would you put in our hearts eternity, and would you show us how we get to live and breathe and have our being here and now in light of who you are with regard to time. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. The very first thing that most people hear uh, every day of their life is a reminder of the time. Um, the alarm rings, and immediately we consider the, the minute and the hour and the day uh, and, and the inrush of all that is ahead of us, and, and maybe even all that was behind us just the day before. And, and there we lie uh, to, to get up or to just exist for a few minutes longer before we engage and, and do battle with the day ahead. Of it doesn't stop there. Uh, we have uh, sh- shortly after, for many people, they begin to look at their calendar and their kind of schedule of events and, and what they have to do to get themselves ready so that they might walk out of the door. Um, and then then we have to estimate how long it takes to get somewhere or, or when we need to leave for things. And, and we, we use time to set oven timers so we don't burn cookies and other things like that. The stopwatch, for some, holds holds their dreams in the balance uh, as we consider what it would look like to, to qualify for things. And, and, and even around here, uh, we look at, at 5K goals as we're, as we're running or, or we say things like this all the time, I'm running late or, or can you meet me early or, or just one more show, maybe, so that I can get to bed, so that I might then go and do this all again, again, once again, day after day, and even so, some constantly feel just kind of steamrolled by the fact that no matter what happens, seconds they just, they just keep ticking. And as they do, their, their fleeting nature, it increases as we get older. And it's like, I, I, I've shared this years ago, but I used to have this dog as, as a child and his, and his name was Jake. And he was a collie, and you and would spray the water hose at him, and, and he would just bite the water hose. like He would never stop biting the water stream. And even if it was like a, a nozzle with high pressure, it would just hit him, and he would just bite and bite and bite. And, and guess what Jake never did? He never got any water, because it's impossible for him. He's just biting and biting and biting. He, he would just never stop doing that. And that's sometimes what it feels like. Uh, As uh, we we read in the scriptures that we're grasping at the wind when we try to just engage with the seconds and the minutes and the hours and the days and the weeks and the months and the years and the decades as they just tick on by. It seems almost as if time is a, a demanding master. And, and, and it's controlled by no one, and no one is outside of its rule, and, and we all have in our minds these kind of once-upon-a-time beginnings, and we all, all have the hope of, of a happily ever after until, of course, life as we know it, it comes to an end. Seasons change, and, and for some, that has us running in circles. Right? Um, there, there's no greater indicator of time here in the Midwest than seasonal change. And, and some hate that, right? Some people, very dear to me, hate when leaves begin to fall. Because what that means is like no more heat and no more laying in a pile of water somewhere, right? But 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 that's true. Here in the Midwest we get we get seasons and and the leaves fall and then then the the snowflakes fall and then then we get flowers budding and blooming and then we get the onset of humidity and dysfunction. Am I showing my cards? Okay. But summer, it's good. It really is. So so Solomon in the scriptures, he's the wisest that ever lived. Right, and, and he tells us that there's a time for everything under the sun. But what we know is, is that time isn't endless under the sun. We need no reminders to tell us that things, they don't last forever, uh, forever and, and neither do we. And yet, we learn of a God who isn't quite motivated by time the way that we are. We learn of a God through the scriptures who, who, who not only is he not motivated by time the way that we are, but he isn't quite hindered by it either. Because God is eternal, we get to entrust our past, our present, and our future into his hands. And this is, this is good news. God is eternal. He is the God of infinite time. As we're journeying through this series, He is, and we're finding out who God is in, in ways that we are not like that. Uh, we, we look at this kind of anchor text for this, and, and remember, we're not working through a book of the Bible right now like we normally do. We are five sermons in, uh, uh, in, in a ten-part series, where we're looking at these kind of anchor concepts and truths, these attributes of God. And we, we're seeing who He is in and, in and, and ways that we are not like him, all right? And so, so he is God eternal, God of infinite time. And we see this in, in Revelation 1 8. He says, I am the Alpha and the Omega. And for us, it's like you might be saying, well, What is that? It, it, he's like saying, I am the A and, and the Z. I am the beginning and I am the end, says the Lord, who is, who was, and who is. To come the Almighty. And what we see as we've been looking at God's self-existence and self-sufficiency and all these things, we see that God has always been backwards and he always will be future. And and those things meet us today in this very moment. He is here. He always has been. He always will be God the Almighty. And so the the first point that kind of helps us uh, grapple with this is this. God is outside of time. And if you consider deeply the ins and outs of, of movies like Back to the Future or, or concepts and figures like, like Doctor Strange or, or other time travel movies, it can begin to play with our minds. And we begin to, to look for plot holes, and, and there are plot holes in those things, right? And, and, and we, we try to figure it out, but but what the writers have to do before they can write such a story is kind of spell out the rules in which these things work. If you see yourself in the future, that can alter reality, right? Which reality? This reality? And so that, that can, like, really quickly give us that brain exploding emoji, right? And, and our brains just can't handle that. It can play with our minds, right? See, when we think of time, we think of it in a line. Uh, just this week, I, I have these books that are this big. They were sitting on my desk, and I meant to bring one out and forgot. Um, and, and they're like a timeline of the Old Testament, right? And, and we unfolded it this week. Uh, it was a, a practice of, of, of staff. This is what we do around here. We just open books together, right? And it, it would go, it's like 20 feet long, just one page of the, the timeline of the Old Testament. And it has all the tiny little words and people and all the things and how they interact. And, and every time you've ever learned about history, right, you probably consider it in, in a timeline and, and in books and, and when we look at websites and stuff, that they show us a line of time. This is the beginning of this empire and, and this is when this king ruled and then, then this is when uh, the decline began to happen and this is the end of his reign and this is the end of the empire. It, it happens in a line. We think of things in a linear way. Timelines condition us for that. So, so when things happen outside of that line, we can't... We can't compute that. Our brains can't get there. Um, it isn't helpful to hear things like, like this. God dwells in eternity. But time dwells in God. Right? And, and lots of other lines that I could throw out from really smart people, much smarter than, than I am, but, but God dwells in eternity, but, but time dwells in God. And so you could just sit there and think, like, how does that work? And and, uh, C.S. Lewis may help us here. This is what he says. He suggests that we think of a sheet of paper infinitely extended, which is nearly impossible to consider, because I'm always looking at the edge. Like, I can see the edge, but then I'm like, there can't be an edge. And then it starts moving really rapidly, so much that you cannot see the edge because there is no edge. Imagine that piece of paper. Think of a sheet of paper infinitely extended in all directions. That would be eternity. Then on that paper, draw a short line to represent time. And I think the proper term would be a line segment. Right? Um, So draw a short line on that piece of paper. So you have the expanse of paper in all directions, a little line segment. That is time. As... uh, As the line begins and ends on the infinite expanse, so time began in God and will end in Him. Thanks, C.S. Lewis, for clearing that up for us. Right? So I I think there's some understanding, and and the thing that's helpful is time is not very big in the, the scheme of eternity. But then the other thing is, gosh, this is just like, it's unraveling, right? Uh, A.W. Tozer, he, he goes on to say that God is present at time's beginning is not too difficult to comprehend. If God has always been, then, then when time began, we can assume and we can say, okay, God was there when time began. But that he appears at the beginning and the end simultaneously is not so easy to grasp, yet it is true. I know, I've lost you again, right? He's there in the beginning, he's there in the end, there is no end, there was no beginning to him, and yet he's, he's, he's in all those places at once. So if there's anything that you learn from that, and we'll tease that out in a minute, we get to know this, that, that there is a God and he's not in this room sitting on one of these seats. We are not him, right? Because we don't exist, we can't even fathom these concepts. So he is not like us. He is outside of time. He has no beginning. He has no end. So where do we draw these conclusions? Well, just a few passages help us kind of just glean some big picture stuff. In Job 26.6, the number of his years is unsearchable. The number of his years is unsearchable, meaning we, we can't, uh, you, you can't type it up You can't can't quantify it. You can't put a a number on it. There there is no way to define or describe or even comprehend the number of God's years. Psalm 90, verse 2, Before the mountains were brought forth, or ever you had formed the earth in in the world, from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. So again, the paper or the timeline, whatever it is, as, as far back as anyone ever could possibly look in that direction, meaning the past, he's there, and, and likewise, forward, he's there. Think of a number, the biggest number you've ever heard in your life, and, and put a number of days or weeks or, or, or years or decades or millennia. He's, he's far beyond that number. He has no end. He's from everlasting backwards to everlasting forwards. Uh, just a few verses later, Psalm 90, verse 4, For a thousand years in your sight are but as yesterday, when it is past, or as a watch in the night. So, so for a thousand years in, in, in the past, to God it's like a, a, a watchman doing a three or four hour shift. It's all right in front of him, it's all present, it's all, it's all vivid to him. Right now, now, there are lots of layers when considering God and his relation to time, but, but these things are kind of mind-melting. Wayne Grudem, in Systematic Theology, he says this, God sees all time equally vividly. We remember more recent events more vividly, and the clarity of our memory fades with the passing of time even if it were possible for us to live a thousand years, we would remember very few events from hundreds of years earlier and the clarity of that memory would be very, very low. You think about eyewitness testimony and it's like a big deal in, in the court of law. But like it's real easy to trip someone up. And and there have been lots of cold case stuff come out over the over the years and in and, and particular recently. And, and so they're trying to figure out uh, in, in one uh, case that kind of Broke onto the scene a few years back. There was this this guy, and some stuff happened. And they're they're asking these kids, you know, like fifteen or twenty years later, like like was this kid in track practice that day? Well, let's see. That was Thursday. I mean, just think about it. Twenty years ago, like was he at track practice or was he not? And they're like, no, I'm I'm certain I saw him in practice that day. And it's like, no, no, you're not. I'm not certain of of what happened today. Like I'm I don't know what's happening right now. I can't tell you are all wearing masks how How would I know, but seriously, like it, it's so difficult for us, and so so eyewitness testimony is is troubling because our our minds just aren't that great, but God can remember all the detailed events of a thousand years at least as clearly as we can remember the events of yesterday, and when we combine that with the way that this is written, you're thinking, okay, so he's got a thousand years but but what what happens like a thousand and one years. Well, that's not exactly how this works, right? When, when the writer was writing that in Psalms, I, I promise he's not thinking of, of the ticking seconds of a watch. Right, we have a pretty precise understanding of time. It dictates and it controls our lives. Like, that's not what they were using. They're using the sun to navigate time. Right? And so for them, a thousand years. For us, a thousand years, you just get on the internet and look up, hey, like stuff that happened a thousand years ago in whatever city or whatever. They didn't, they didn't do that. They, they didn't have the, the rich history that we have at our fingertips. So for them, a thousand years is, is an eternity ago. So the language is sort of like saying, uh, in, in, in the way that God interacts with time, like forever is like a day. Or like we would say, like, yeah, a billion years is like a day. Like, it doesn't mean anything. It's just some really large number. So for them, like forever, we see that that all past history is viewed by God as if it were moments ago. And it will remain this way for the coming billions and billions and, and infinite successions of moments for all time. So what we see in light of all this is that analogies, they fail. We, we can't get it but but... This might be similar to something like if you were someone who could read a book in a day. There are, people, there are people who do that. Angie, you read a book in a day, right? I know that. I know that you do that. Uh, if you could read a book in a day and, and then in your mind Those things are relatively fresh And you can say yeah The character started here And then then he went And, and uh, you know Boo Radley Or whatever book you're reading Right Did this and then and followed along And then for you It's all right in front of you It's pretty fresh But for these characters Man there's like Expanses of time within the book that, That's how uh, That's a terrible analogy But that's the closest That I can get to To kind of portray What that might be like So we, So So we keep we, we could keep talking about this and, and keep kind of uh, tricking our brains to try to get a handle on it. But, but these concepts and the truth that God is outside of time, it leads us to something, right? It has to mean something. And, and here are just three real quick things to help us apply all of that stuff. One is this. God is never rushed. God is never rushed. We are frantic with regard to time. And and all the things, God is not. He's never playing catch up. He's never uh, running five minutes late. Got stuck by a train in New Miami. Never. He's not playing catch up. God is never rushed. Secondly, God is never unprepared because he's never rushed, he's never running to class saying, ah, oh, bro, I forgot my pencil. You have a pencil? Disheveled, dropping folders on the ground. He's never unprepared. Nothing, we've said this many times, but nothing ever occurs to God. Never. Never. Never does God say, "Oh, oh yeah." There, there are no surprises. And, and thirdly, God is never impatient. You know, all of these things are, are, are not me. Try as I might. And all of these things are not you. God is not tapping his fingers, waiting for the thing to happen waiting for the thing to be over. Because because all time is, is currently in front of them. And and when we add up all the attributes of God, and this one just being one, that, that he is infinite with regard to time. We add up all those other things that, that he is in control of all things, right? Gosh, that, that lets my heart rest just for a minute. When I find myself rushed and and unprepared and and impatient, God is not. He is is none of those things. There's there's no waiting in Him. And because God is eternal, what I get to do is we get to entrust our past and our present and our future into His hands. The second thing, and and kind of in contrast to all that, is that, that all creation lives within time. Nothing that has ever been created exists outside of time. There was a moment when time did not exist. And it began when this, when this world and in, in the universe was brought to life by the word of God. And so, even as, as limited as we are, we have a mindfulness of the concept of eternity, we, we can consider it, and we learn this from from the preacher, as he's called Solomon in Ecclesiastes chapter three, and and just a little primer in, in just a few months. Pastor Scott is going to be leading a, a Bible study through. Is this this is true, right, Scott? Right? Whew. It's making sure. Um, uh, through Ecclesiastes, and man, it, I, I think it will be a treat to kind of wrestle with some of these uh, concepts that that are again mine melting, but uh, Ecclesiastes chapter 3, starting in verse 9, what gain has the worker from his toil? There's kind of a cynical slant when you read some of this stuff. I think that's why Scott is so drawn to him. (laughs) I have seen the business that God has given to the children of man to be busy with, right? I've seen the business That God has given humanity to be busy with. And and this is what he concludes. He has made everything beautiful in its time. Also, he has put eternity into man's heart. There it is. He has put eternity into man's heart so that he cannot find out what God has done from the beginning to the end. Ah, But I want to find out. Because God was before I was in time. I have... FOMO, right? What what was he doing? What what will he be doing on into the future? And so, uh, one says this way, the preacher thus realizes that both his desire to understand all of life, as well as the limitations on his ability to do so, both have been ordained by God. We are not eternal, yet eternity has been put into our life into man's heart so that we cannot find out what God has done from beginning to end man Solomon writes here of our frailty and of our squandering of time and and of our fear time is a wrecking ball so we've longed to fight against it we long to fight against time and and uh, man here's a summary of what the fountain of youth is, and, and you've probably heard the notion of the fountain of youth. The fountain of youth is a mythical spring that, that restores the youth of anyone who drinks or bathes in its waters. Sounds great, doesn't it? Maybe. Tales of such foundation have been, re, uh, I'm sorry, tales of such fountain have been recounted around the world for thousands of years, appearing in the writings in fifth century BC. 3rd century A.D. in the early Crusades, the 11th century and 12th centuries, stories of similar waters were also prominent among the people of the Caribbean during the Age of Exploration in the early 16th century, and they spoke of the restorative powers of the water in the mythical land of Bimini. You've never been there before because it's a mythical land, but, but the legend became particularly prominent in the 16th century when it was attached to Spanish explorer Juan Ponce de Leon, the first governor of Puerto Rico. This has been a thing for literally thousands of years that people go and they try to find for the elusive fountain of youth or some other remedy of aging generally associated with magic waters. These waters might have been a river, a spring, or any other water water source that was said to reverse the aging process and cure sickness when drunk or bathed in. Now, this historical search for this mythical fountain of youth, it it points to some consistent matters of the human heart. Consistent matters that have been around, not just today, where we sit, in this country, in this city but in the world around us, and, and seemingly for human history. It's that we, we idolize youth because in youth we are a far cry from our end. So, so in our context, we spend billions of dollars on skin care, and Botox, and anti-aging Formulas, And we drink nasty stuff, and we put nasty stuff all over our face. We, meaning the collective human race, not necessarily myself. <laughs> Parents, they relive the glory days by, by coaching or, or being tyrants to their kids in, in sports or, or pageants or whatever the thing is. Supplements make promises that no pill can keep. And, and athletes, they, they fight time with performance-enhancing drugs and, and supplements, and we consume books and movies about people and, and vampires and other immortals with kind of a tinge of curiosity of just, I mean, what might that be like to have 10,000 years behind us and have only just begun? And I'm always thinking, I think I would learn to play piano. That's like always the thing, you know, like... But I bet for them, time seems pressing as well. Even though they have a lot of it, they still have to go to work and do the things, right? The, the ancients and the moderns alike have, have sought the globe, and they've, they've risked life and livelihood for, for magic, time-defying water. We know that eternity exists, and we also know that it does not exist within us Or within these hands. So what? So what? Do we just give up? Do we just call off the search for the fountain of youth? You guys already bought your tickets to Bimini, didn't you? Do we just give up for for water that promises eternal life no we don't we don't get to do that the the aim of that search has been in the wrong direction and, and Bimini does not mark the spot eternity is not within our hands and yet there is one who is eternal and by his grace we can receive the gift of eternal life and what we get to do is we get to trade in this striving and this thirst from, from wells of all that is temporal, of all this stuff that won't last, striving for, for eternal life from something that has been created. We get to trade that in for water from the well that never runs dry. And, and what we get to see is that we are just passerbys in this life, and as, as the scriptures teach that we are aliens and strangers, we are sojourners, skipping along, 70, 80, 90 years on this earth. And, and the most significant conclusion that we can draw from this with regard to time is this: that, that this world is not our home for those who are in Christ. So, so when we read what Paul tells us in Ephesians chapter 5 and he says, Look carefully how you walk. Not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. I mean, what he's telling us is, as we get to redeem the time that we've been given, we get to make something of it, We don't just get to hunker down in, in, in fear, or, or just separate ourselves, go live in the mountains somewhere. That's not what we get to do, but we get to, we get to, because the days are evil, we get to make the best use of the time that God has given us. We get to put God's full wisdom on display. And the only way we get to redeem time is to put our days in the hand of the one who is outside of time. And look, I don't know where this finds you. For some, it's, it's a complete assumption, something that you've known forever, and for others it might not be. But could we all consider what, what just the face value of what Jesus tells us in John chapter 4. He says, this is the offer, the invitation. But, but whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The search is over. It's not some magical water that we drink. It's trusting our lives into the hand of the only one who exists outside of time. That's how we get brought into eternal life. So so today we get to go to Him we get to turn from the ways we consider our days and trust Jesus for the gift of eternal life. And when we do, it changes the way that we interact with, with all of the moments lived here, now, and forever. Because God is eternal, we get to entrust our past, our present, and our future into his hands. And, and again, in Revelation 1.8, we see that he's the beginning and the end. He's the Alpha and Omega who is eternal. Now, who, who was and, and who is to come the Almighty. Jen Wilkins, she helps uh, in, in her book, None Like Him. She helps frame out some really kind of tangible application. And, and I'll give you three of those in just a second. But, but she says this, We cannot expect to understand our own history or the collective human history, this side of Glory. But we can trust our yesterday, our today, and our tomorrow to the one who was and is and is to come. And she gives just real, three just really helpful considerations for us as we reflect and we repent and we respond. And, and the three things are this. We get to let go of the past. And look, I'm not naive enough to say, ah, oh, well, I'm sorry that horrible thing happened to you. I just... Let it just wash off your shoulder. I'm not saying that, right? But for some of us, it's difficult to let go of things that happened one hour ago, even right now, stuff spinning in our minds about something that happened today, and for others it might be decades ago. And so what we get to do is we get to categorize those things, and we get to put them in their proper place. Those things are a time gone by. And we understand that that what has been, it has been. We get to put it there rightly for the good or the bad. And and what uh, Wilkin does in, in just kind of a clever way, in each of these things, we get to let go of the past. She gives kind of two sinful ditches, and one is that of nostalgia, and the other is that of regret. When we look back at our past, nostalgia means, man, I want those days back. And regret means, gosh, if I could have that moment back, I would do something differently. And both of those things can can dwell up in us and they can begin to define or at least control us, right? We can, uh, we can covet a season that has that um, gone by as if it were better than the one that, that God has presently put in our lives. And sure, some of those things are true. But we ought not fall into the ditch, right? So if you find yourself longing for the good Or lamenting the bad of the past in unhealthy ways or in ways which heap guilt upon us. We get to let it go by trusting the God who was never caught off guard by anything that's happened to us, through us, or or from us in our past. The second thing is we get to let go of the future. She says, redeeming the time requires letting the future stay in the future. Just like we let the past ruin the present, we let the future r- ruin the present of what is. Why do we do that? Well, well, we, we fall into the traps of anticipation or anxiety. And one is, gosh, we just want the future to be here so bad, and we just wish that it was present, like Christmas morning, but, but void of joy. Or we look to the future and we say, oh gosh, when that happens, my life is over. Both of those things. Are untrue, so we don't get to get caught up in those things, all right? And, and again, we can covet a season that is yet to be over the one that, that is currently in front of us, right? And so we say things like, "Man, if I can just drive," or, or "When I get to college," or "When I get a career," or "When I get, uh, a, or, or when I get uh, a marriage," or a family, or any of the things. And what we get to do is, is is be mindful that those things are in the future, maybe, but right now you are living in the present. And lastly, we get to live today fully. And I would say it this way. After all, it is where we currently are. We are here, here and now, today. And so redeeming the time requires that we be fully present. Man, that is really helpful for me. Because I'm pretty regularly thinking about the things that just were. Or the things that just will be. And I've had this constant voice in my life for like 25 years that says, Michael, this is a real, a real voice. Not like the ones that's circling around in here. It says, Michael, can we just be? Yeah. Yeah, Kim, we can just be. We can, we can squander today by feeding the sins of, of laziness, acting like we have all the days in the world, or, or busyness. And right, as we paint out these ditches, I'm sure you fall into one. The the lazy person puts off responsibilities, assuming that there's always tomorrow, right? And and she procrastinates and misses deadlines and and blames and makes excuses. And then the other side of that, the busy person is is characterized by exhaustion and overcommitment. And what we do is we forget that God is the only one who holds time within him. And so I try to squeeze every second of this life for. Productivity, without pausing to breathe and to rest as evidence of my trust in the only one true eternal God. So, tomorrow morning, the alarm rings and immediately we consider minute, hour, day. The inrush of all that is ahead of us and all that is behind us there we lie, to get up or to just exist for a few more minutes. Man, for us today, at minimum, let's remember that that we are merely a line on an infinite expanse of, of paper. And may we consider our days, may we know that they are not unlimited but for the number that we have here, let us loosen our grip a bit and throw the cares of what was and what is and what will be to the only one who holds all time in his hands. And we get to respond. We get to pray, we get to take communion today, right? You can sit right where you are as the band comes up. You can pray over there at the prayer bench. You can go back. Someone will be available to pray with you over by that tree. You can sit right where you are and talk to God because you have an advocate, and his name is Jesus. We get to remember what Christ has done, that that his body was broken, that his blood was spilled. And we get to do that by, by taking the cup, And Scott laid out the the groundwork for that, but basically just snag one of these things and and go off. Would you pray with me? Father, thanks for your gift, and thank you that, that we are so tiny in the scheme of things. And I know for me and so many people in this room, the next six hours are the most important hours of our life. That's true for any moment that we exist on this planet. God, but, but for you, things are a little bigger than that. You're, you're not impatient. You're not caught off guard. Nothing that, that we do strikes you, makes you gasp. Would you let us just find our rest in knowing that, that there is one who holds all time in his hands, and it's, it's not me, it's not us today. Would you let that reorient the way that we go about our day beginning in this moment? Would you let us reflect on the way in which we, uh, we misunderstand our days and, and time? Would you let us repent and turn from the ways in which we have trusted in ourselves or lived apart from you? Would you let us respond by living changed even in this moment? In Jesus' name, amen.